the prospective urban rural epidemiology study looks at the process of cancer becoming a bigger and bigger issue. You talk to any oncologist, you talk to any doctor taking care of people with cancer, and they will tell you things are changing. What does that mean? The process of cancer is not the same. Cancer is not the same. It is behaving differently. Of course, you know where I stand on that. Some has a, has a relationship to the last uh, three years, injection versus infection. Uh, clearly, the science shows how that can impact and change cancer. But also, I think it's a transgenerational impact, transgenerational inheritance, that is. And so that every generation, what we're seeing is we're seeing a worsening inheritance of epigenetics that I think favor disease, favors disease, that, that favors the processes, the environment that allows cancer to occur. Welcome to the Practicing with Dr. Nathan Goodyear podcast. I'm the medical director at Brio Medical in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am both a conventionally trained and licensed medical doctor as well as a licensed medical homeopathic doctor. This podcast is your resource for a scientific-based discussion of all things cancer and beyond from a natural, holistic, and integrated perspective. It's time to teach the body how to heal. So here we go. Spontaneous tumor regression. What the heck am I talking about? Well, I think it's important that we go down this proverbial rabbit hole. Now, this ties back to immunotherapy. And we're down here in Cabo San Lucas, and I had the pleasure of meeting with my colleague, my friend, and my fellow graduate from medical school, Dr. Jason Williams. We've been down here talking about a lot of things related to immunotherapy. And spontaneous tumor regression really ties in beautifully to that perspective. And in fact, I think you really can't talk with one about one without the other. So first, since most people probably don't know what spontaneous tumor regression or spontaneous tumor remission is, I thought it'd be great to just start off with a definition, right? So here's the definition of a more modern sense of spontaneous tumor regression. It is recovery of a patient from cancer in the absence of a disease specific treatment or in the presence of inadequate therapy. So that definition makes me ponder a couple points. What is defined as inadequate? Who defines what is inadequate? So when you look at this process of inadequacy in this definition, in essence, I believe what they're saying is they're saying that inadequate is not the standard of care. It's not the conventional approach. It's not the uh, initial uh, first opinion, medical opinion. It's not the second medical opinion. It's not the third medical opinion. Because when you, when you look at the major uh, conventional cancer clinics that one can go to, the hospitals, when you go from one opinion to the next, from the first to second to the third, you're going to actually get the same thing with slightly different window dressings and a different name attached to the form, the sheet that goes along with it. So adequate is, I would say, defined as the standard of care, which by definition, of course, this may surprise a lot of you, is what everybody is doing. So if everybody was saying, I have a headache, so I need to hit my head upside the wall because I have a headache to remedy the headache, one might question whether what everybody's doing is wrong but I think you get the point. Standard of care needs to be evidence-based. Alternative care needs to be evidence-based. It doesn't need to just be based on what everybody's doing or what everybody's not doing. So here, I believe adequacy or inadequacy is being de delineated by standard of care. So when you look at it, spontaneous recovery or remission or regression is anything that doesn't involve conventional cancer care, treatment modalities, including surgery, chemo, radiation, and yet no evidence of disease is achieved. So taking the fact that we're down here in Cabo San Lucas talking to Dr. Jason Williams, that would be considered outside the what everybody else is doing standard of care. 
at Brio Medical, where we're doing low-dose metronomic chemo and hyperthermia and curcumin and high-dose vitamin C, because that's not what everybody else is doing or standard of care, that is considered inadequate. Both would be considered inadequate. Yet both are evidence-based and yet both are effective. See, anything outside of the conventional treatment modalities, standard of care, what everybody's doing, is essentially labeled as some sort of miracle. So the definition of a miracle is if it's not in conventional standard of care, it's a miracle. Find that point really interesting. But beyond that, I think what that does is it squashes innovation. It really funnels everybody into a bottleneck of just doing what everybody else is doing. And right now, what we need in cancer is we need innovation. Again, I, I talk about this all the time. The prospective urban rural epidemiology study looks at the process of cancer becoming a bigger and bigger issue. You talk to any oncologist, you talk to any doctor taking care of people with cancer, and they will tell you things are changing. And what does that mean? The process of cancer is not the same. Cancer is not the same. It is behaving differently. Of course, you know where I stand on that. Some has a, has a relationship to the last uh, three years, injection versus infection. Uh, clearly, the science shows how that can impact and change cancer. But also, I think it's a transgenerational impact, transgenerational inheritance, that is. And so that every generation, what we're seeing is we're seeing in a worsening inheritance of epigenetics that I think favor disease, favors disease, that, that favors the processes, the environment that allows cancer to occur. So just as with immunotherapy, we talk through a timeline. Let's go through a very brief spontaneous regression timeline. Great article from 2021, The Spontaneous Remission of Cancer, Current Insights and Therapeutic Significance, I think is a good article for you to look at. Now, this is going to be a much shorter timeline, so uh, this is not going to be a war and peace uh, rendition, if you will. Just as with the immunotherapy timeline, I think we could look at the spontaneous regression timeline in the origin the same. And I think this is just because things go far, they go all the way back to Imhotep. Just as the immunotherapy timeline started with Imhotep, I think the spontaneous regression timeline has, has a good origin there. And not because there wasn't some, I think, uh, historical reference that may have predated that. It's just I couldn't find it. And most just go right back to Imhotep because, of course, 2600 BC is long enough. So Ebers Papyrus in 1500 BC um, describes a lot of the methods and methodologies that Imhotep in the 2600 BC uh, ancient G Egypt was actually doing as a physician to try and heal people with a variety of ailments, diseases. And in 2600 BC, he was using poultice, which is a collection of herbs and dirt and other things that he would put on, or people still would put on here a tumor and then he would actually cut through it with a knife. And, and the purpose here was to induce an infection at that affected site. If you go back to the immunotherapy podcast, which I encourage you to do, uh, I describe how th that, that is immunotherapy. Infection is triggering an immune response. Now, in that instance, it can be an uncontrolled immune response that could become systemic, and so that's a concern. But honestly, you have to look at what Imhotep was doing and say, this is one of the first documented, at least first documented aspects of immunotherapy, I think, that can be described. But in this, in the Ebers papyrus, he actually described tumor regression, spontaneous tumor regression. In the second century AD, so this is BC into AD, Galen, a Greek Roman physician, described how cancer might evolve from inflammatory lesions. So here we have a point where Imhotep was actually working with infl inflammation by an induction through a cut through induction of infection. Galen was said, you know, I think cancer might be an inflammatory process. And then in the 13th century AD, a Catholic priest who had sarcoma, his name was Peregrine 
Lazosi, L-A-Z-I-O-S-I, so my apologies if I mispronunciate, mispronunciate it with my Italian, but he was able to avoid surgery because he developed a superficial, a skin infection that then caused the spontaneous regression of his tumor. 13th century AD, Peregrine, second major documentation in history of spontaneous tumor regression. Now, so that was a skin infection. Imhotep was a spontaneous infection, bacterial. Here in 1896, right around the turn of the 19th to 20th century, George Dock showed, was able to describe a spontaneous regression of acute myelogenous leukemia following influenza. So now we have a virus. We have a cut-inducing infection. We have a skin infection. We have a viral infection, all leading to spontaneous regression of cancer. 1945, a Portuguese reference. The title of this article was Gastric Cancer and the Strange Phenomenon, Strange Phenomenon of Their Spontaneous Curability. 1946, a French reference. So this is not something that's just isolated to one region of the world, one country, but here the French reference was about, uh, it was entitled About the Spontaneous Healing of Peritoneal Metastasis from Ovarian Cancer. So this is roughly a hundred years ago. And then things really took a major, a major turn in 1956. T.C. Efferson or Tilden C. Efferson, and he wrote a preliminary report entitled Spontaneous Regression of Cancer, a Preliminary Report. And, and, and in this report, what he was doing is actually going back and reviewing the medical literature from and even preceding 1900. He documented up to 600 cases of, of what was labeled spontaneous regression and found that 47 of them basically, and he, he, he approached this from a very critical analytical mode. And what he did is he said, okay, I need histological diagnosis. I need pathology. I need to know that this patient actually had cancer confirmed via tissue analysis. And so he actually confirmed of these 600 cases, doesn't mean the others were not, but only 47 had histological diagnosis that confirmed the diagnosis, but then afterwards he had uh, confirmation that the tumor was eradicated. That doesn't mean, again, out of the 600, those beyond 47 were not, it's just he took a very critical analytical eye to assure that what was being done here was actually spontaneous regression. Then in 1966, Arnold M. Arnold M. Seligman, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N. Again, I I like to be very careful about the pronunciation of names because I think it's important to honor those that uh, put forth this work and effort. So if I misspell it, I always like to mispronounce it. I always like to spell it out so so that you can uh, look that up for yourself. But he wrote an article entitled Spontaneous Regression of Cancer, a study and abstract of reports in the world medical literature and of personal communications concerning spontaneous regression of malignant disease report. Now, he went back to 1900 and he looked at over a course of 560 pages and he reproduced the case histories of 176 patients that had supportive imaging and diagnostic results that confirmed the diagnosis and remission. So here, roughly 100 years ago, almost 56 and 66 in the 20th century, we have expansive retrospective reviews of the concept of spontaneous regression. Then we look at 1966 again, uh, William Boyd, who was one of the co-authors with uh, T.C. With Everson in that initial report, but William Boyd wrote a book entitled The Spontaneous Regression of cancer. This was actually a book. Then in um, 1967, T.C. Everson and uh, Cole, W.H. Cole, wrote a, a second book entitled Spontaneous Regression of Cancer. So two books in 1966 and 1967 were co-authored after these papers that I mentioned in the earlier 20th century. Then, so this is just describing it. This is confirming. This is just describing it. Then in 2021, we have a, a article that was written by Gudaparetti and Lopez.
and they described 11 possible mechanisms. So possible mechanisms of spontaneous regression. And these included infections, fever, disruption of the tumor microenvironment, anti-angiogenic factors, apoptotic, non-apoptotic effects, telomere exhaustion, withdrawal of carcinogenic agents, endocrine or hormonal factors, herbal therapies, herbal medicine, transfusions, and tumor ablation. All of these, in essence, are in a way stimulating an immune response, particularly the infection, the fever, particularly the tumor microenvironment disruption, the endocrine factors, potentially herbal medicines, transfusions, and tumor ablation. So some of them are more direct in their impact as an immune response. Some of them are indirect or lesser connected. But the point here, when I think when you look at spontaneous tumor regressions, we have to clearly understand that this is going back to the immune system. Most of what is documented in these reports, in these books, and throughout history as spontaneous tumor regressions is a triggering of the immune system. And if you want to go back through the timeline of immunotherapy, go over to that podcast where I talk about immunotherapy when I'm down here in Cabo San Lucas, or listen to the podcast where, where Dr. Jason Williams and I sit down and we talk about different aspects of precision therapy stacking, of immunotherapy, and honestly, where the future is going. In 2022, get this, even today, PubMed in 2022, there were 201 publications describing or referencing or looking at spontaneous regression. And the Europe, for, uh, the Europe counterpart to PubMed, and understand what these two organizations are, is they're a, they're a database collection site where studies get stored. So in the US, it's PubMed. In Europe, it's Europe PMC. In Europe PMC in 2022, they saw, they had referenced there 430 articles. Move, here we are in July 2023. And in the um, PubMed, we have 128 publications up to about halfway point in 2023. But the Europe P PMC counterpart shows 177. So what's the discrepancy between U.S. and Europe? Well, I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, selection of those studies and, and those that choose to submit it in Europe or those that don't and maybe submit it into the U.S. So when we look at the context of spontaneous tumor regression, there is absolute similarities, but I think intertwining of it as it relates to immunotherapy. Broadly, if we just look at the phrases spontaneous regression and cancer, in PubMed, there's roughly 7,094 articles. That's 7,094 articles published, referenced regarding spontaneous tumor regression. In the European PMC, it, it marks out at 5,506. That's 5,506. And again, I think one of the, the lead authors, the lead um, tips of the spear was Tilden C. Everson or T.C. Everson and his work on spontaneous regressions. And so I think his definition is very important because he did a lot, of, a lot of study, a lot of research, a lot of publications and wrote books on it. But in 1968, his definition was as the partial or complete disappearance of a malignant tumor in the absence of all treatment or in the presence of therapy which is considered inadequate to exert a significant influence on neoplastic disease. So here it's not just that there's the absence of treatment or the inadequacy of treatment, but it's that there's a significant influence on neoplastic disease. So I think when you look at spontaneous regression or remission, at least as it relates to regression, the way Dr. T.C. Everson is describing this, it doesn't specifically say there, there needs to be the achievement of no evidence disease. It's just that, hey, no treatment occurred. And quote unquote, what conventional care is, is substandard of care, not sub substandard, but inadequate. There's regression. Yeah, there could be remission, but it's not required, at least according to the T.C. Everson. 
So what kind of tumor types have been documented to see spontaneous regression? Well, they are in this list, but not limited to neuroblastomas, renal cell carcinomas, malignant melanoma, lymphomas, leukemias, bladder cancer, sarcomas, breast, colorectal cancer. So, of course, I have nine listed here, but these are the predominant cancer types that have been described. And what's interesting about this, some of these tend to be the more common types of cancer in general, but there can be cancer types outside of this described. And I encourage you to go over to PubMed or your PMC and put in a spontaneous regression, spontaneous tumor regression cancer and see what you find there. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is probably a concept, an idea, a phrase that most people have never heard. Why is that rarely mentioned? Well, the literature tells us why. So W.H. Cole, one of the authors I mentioned in the timeline, said that spontaneous regression in breast cancer is rarely observed in the literature. And in this particular article, he reported in 41 patients in a spontaneous regression consisting of 741 patients. So he looked at 741 patients and he found 41 patients. But then in 1987, the number of cases, quote, had considerably decreased in recent years since effective treatments began to be administered in breast cancer. And consequently, only three cases were reported after 1987. Now, as we get fully into the latter half of the 20th century, we're getting into the full prowess and strength from a conventional and market standpoint of surgery, maximum to tolerate dose chemotherapy and radiation. Now, if you check out over at the Unholy Trinity podcast, I talk through all of those and the potential adverse effects and the documentation that supports that. But here I want to highlight specifically maximum tolerated dose chemotherapy, because we know that not only can that damage the immune system, it can damage the immune system in a way that is very particularly pro-cancer and it's unrepairable. It's unrepairable. So maybe what we're seeing is that spontaneous tumor regressions are not occurring anymore because one, as we transgenerationally pass on our genetic changes, our expression of genetic changes that we're accumulating generation by generation, more disease favorable environments and epigenetic manifestations that then lead to immune dysfunction, but that the very treatment of the cancer itself is only compounding that issue. Because again, when you look at the breast cancer research, what it shows that full dose chemotherapy can shrink a primary tumor, but it spreads it. And the mechanism by which it does it is the damage to the immune system. Even surgery, even radiation has shown to impact the immune system and also impact this potential for spontaneous tumor regression. So there was an article from 2023, so this year, and this quote, I think, helps to highlight the radiation potential. Quote, radiation, especially high single fraction radiation doses, can create a hypoxic tumor microenvironment in which tumor cells produce chemokines to recruit macrophages to create an immunosuppressive tumor microenvironment. So let me unpack this just a touch because this ties into what I was talking about with full dose or maximum to tolerated dose chemotherapy. Here they're talking about radiation, single fraction. What it's doing is actually creates a low oxygen environment around the tumor microenvironment, hypoxia, low oxygen. And what this, what this in turn does is recruit the immune system to that arena, that environment. And that creates the conversion, the adulteration of those immune cells to a different functional aspect. And that in turn leads to immunosuppression within the tumor microenvironment. So in a way here, the, the treatment of the cancer radiation is inducing an immune attack of the immune system. That's exactly what the full dose chemotherapy does, but here it's single fraction radiation. 
So again, maybe this is a transgenerational inheritance issue, and the literature has shown that with one dose of chemotherapy being uh, maximizing its disease and dysfunction at the fifth and sixth generation down the line. That was a, that was a mouse study. But I wonder if all, also on top of that, the icing on the cake, the cherry on top, is the very therapies that we're using to treat the cancer. So, so how does spontaneous tumor regression occur? Well, number one, acute infections, right? Because when you look at that, the very early manifestations of it are infectious. Despite notable exceptions, acute infections have been a common denominator, common connecting point for the majority of spontaneous tumor regression cases. The actual idea that infections were triggering this immune response to eliminate tumors was actually theorized and proven early by two German physicians, Wilhelm Busch and Frederick Fellesen, F-E-H-L-E-I-S-E-N. Again, I know I butchered these, my Deutsch is not up to task, so my apologies. But they actually theorized and then built and proved the concept that proved their theory that infections triggered the immune system that was leading to tumor regression. So just as in Imhotep, just as in the uh, Catholic priest, infection induced tumor regression, but it was through the immune system. They actually looked at ursipelas, which is a skin infection caused by bacteria Streptococcus pyogeny, and they were actually able to show that this led to tumor regression. So this then led to other work. Dr. William Coley, Dr. Willie Co William Coley, as I discussed in immunotherapy in 1891, he used heat-activated streptococcus pyogenes and serratia marcescens, both are bacteria. And he used this through his retrospective review of the history, of the literature, and his basically just fed up with his constant surgical resection and recurrence of patients with sarcoma. But he introduced heat inactivated bacteria and it became known as Coley's toxin. And he did this to induce infection, to stimulate the immune system. And actually he had a documented case of remission for 47 years. If there's anything that gets close to a miracle, that's it. And his actual first case was published in 1891 was at New York's Memorial Hospital. Now in 1976, a, another bacteria, BCG, was also shown to be helpful in, in the treatment of bladder cancer. Now, as I mentioned in the timeline, it's not just about bacteria. Here, viruses can play a part here as well. Interesting that viruses can be both oncogenic, that's cancer causing, but viruses can be oncolytic, that's cancer destructive. So here in 1896, George Dock, highlighted, and he was an American physician, highlighted how a severe influenza infection actually led to the spontaneous tumor regression of a patient with acute myelogenous leukemia. Now, if you want to, if you want to see what the nine oncogenic viruses are out there and what their impact on cancer is, I encourage you to check out the FLCC, FLCCC website where there I did a lecture back in the March of 2023, and there in the presence of Paul Merrick and Pierre Corey and others, I actually talked about the science and the mechanisms of how this process and the science of how this process of this virus from the last pandemic is contributing to cancer, but also the spread. So what kind of immunotherapies are we talking about here from a natural, holistic, an integrated perspective, right? Well, first let's focus on natural and holistic. So let's look first at nutrition. So specifically dietary patterns have been shown, whether that be animal-based, vegetarian, Mediterranean, ketogenic, they alter the gut bacteria and the composition of the, those bacteria. It's called the gut microbiome, microbiota. Check out the podcast with Dr. Jason Williams, because there we actually talked about the impact of the gut microbiome, but also the future. We even talked about therapies such as fecal transplant. And yes, that's, that's what you think it is. 
And I jokingly said, hey, so what, what you're saying is we, we really need to know our crap in multiple ways. But what is also known is that these gut bacteria, whether deficient, whether uh, imbalanced, whether excess, they play a critical role in the impact of the immune system. Of course, that can be locally, but that also could be systemically. And we can influence this, but here the point is simply, the bacteria content of the gut, as influenced by diet, can have an impact on systemic inflammation, immunotherapy, and potentially even affect spontaneous tumor regression. So here's a quote from an article, reports stating that the microbiome of the gut has a significant role in enhancing or reducing the efficacy of immunotherapy and disturbance of the physiologic gut microbiome may lead to primary resistance to immune checkpoint therapy. A better response is observed in the presence of specific gut microbes, bacteria, while antibiotic treat treatment is associated with poor response to key immune checkpoint inhibiting therapy. So the point here is what they were showing in this article was that the gut is not just impacting the immune system. The gut and the bacteria associated therein is impacting the effectiveness of therapy added to attack cancer. Here they're specifically talking about immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy, which are working in specific what are called immune checkpoints, which are key checkpoints within the immune system to basically keep the immune system from attacking its, the body itself. And so you can see how in that, in that aspect, immune checkpoints are, are, are good. But here, inhibitor therapy is a key component of what is, what is called conventional immunotherapy today. But here, specific key gut micro, microbes or microbiome can aid that process to be more effective. The presence of certain bacteria strains, such as Bacteroidetes fragilis, Burkholderellus, Bifidobacter, Longus, Brevis, they've been shown to be in, associated with enhanced, improved tumor control. The administration by mouth, so the delivery by mouth of Bifidobacter bacteria species alone achieved in one study a similar degree of tumor control compared to anti-programmed death one therapy, that is a immune checkpoint inhibitor, and that the two combined together achieved a, a significant synergistic anti-tumor impact. So when we talk about immunotherapy, we talk about the treatment of the gut, working to achieve spontaneous tumor regression, we can't achieve that, we can't optimize that with specific bacteria. Two specific bifidobacter species, so you see that in a lot of probiotics, a lot of what you'll see will be lactobacillus, you'll see bifidobacterum species, but particularly bifidobacterum brevi and longum are known to improve immunotherapy results. Additional studies have actually shown that the gut microbiome can actually be used to treat and improve radiation effects as well as chemotherapy all through the gut bacteria. Now, the way we focus on this is typically through probiotics. But research has actually shown that nutritional is probably a better aspect to do that. In fact, one study looked at fiber versus probiotics and found that the better results was via fiber, via fiber. Now, Dr. Jason Williams and I talked about fecal transplants, so you can see the options are really opening up to what we can do there. Other natural holistic, so photobiomodulation therapy, a photodynamic therapy, this combination of photobiomodulation and photodynamic therapy improves the tumor microenvironment modifications, allowing therapy, here stimulating apoptosis, which is programmed cell death, and this improves anti-cancer treatment effectiveness. And what's interesting here is this photobiomodulation therapy and photodynamic therapy, which is using wavelengths of light and matching it with photosensitizers, we use what's called the Weber laser, it actually is less toxic to healthy cells. Mistletoe. Mistletoe is not just for Christmas. Now, here we are in Cabo San Lucas at the end of July, and Christmas is the last thing on the mind because it's hot and humid, though it's beautiful here. People are lovely too, by the way. But mistletoe here, we're not talking about that, that attempt to steal a kiss at Christmas time. But what we're talking about is the anti-tumor properties 
of a parasitic plant born out of anthroposophic medicine. And this mistletoe is a beautiful form of a natural holistic way to stimulate the immune system against cancer. So here's an article from 2006, Molecular Mechanisms Underlying the Immunomodulatory Effects of Mistletoe Extracts, particularly the Escador variety type. And another one from 2011, Difficulties and Perspectives of Immunotherapy, excuse me, of Immunomodulatory Therapy with Mistletoe Lectins and Standardized Mistletoe Extracts in Evidence-Based Medicine. So the point here is what they're saying is that mistletoe is an effective modifier of the immune system that can turn the immune system on the cancer and take it from an inactive or inefficient state to an active and effective state. Hormones, that's right. Hormones, you heard me right. Everybody thinks hormones through a very oversimplistic prism that women are just an estrogen-fueled hot flash and men are simply a testosterone-fueled erection. But melatonin is a very key treatment strategy in cancer, breast cancer obviously, but because of its impact on, immune, on the immune system. See, in cancer, tryptophan metabolism is disrupted and it, this helps the uh, process of what's called disordered tryptophan metabolism to help the immune system to be evaded by the cancer. So this process of disordered tryptophan metabolism helps the cancer to evade the immune system. See, tryptophan is a precursor to melatonin. And this creates an inflammatory process because these pathways get disrupted and that in turn leads to immune suppression, which allows immune evasion, which allows cancer to grow and spread. But melatonin can actually be a target of this tryptophan disrupted metabolism to restore immunomodulation, immunosurveillance, and actually restore the immune effect and activity against the cancer. Now, the intermediate step between tryptophan and melatonin, many of you may recognize as it relates to what's called depression or anxiety, and that's serotonin. So what happens in the inflammation and cancer is tryptophan, because a different enzyme gets turned on, instead of going down the road to serotonin, it gets diverted to other metabolites. And so in essence, you, you end up with a melatonin deficient state, but melatonin can actually be used to target and restore all of that. Melatonin can be, be, be given both IV and by mouth. Repurpose medications. I'm actually super excited that I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Paul Merrick uh, upcoming soon. And we're going to be talking about a white paper that he wrote that I edited a little bit, but he talks a lot about integrative oncology and repurpose medications. Low-dose naltrexone. Many of you may uh, be aware of low-dose naltrexone, but it modulates and modifies different components within the immune system. It's an immunomodulator. Metformin. Metformin is a classic type 2 diabetes medication, and it's been shown to actually improve cancer immunotherapy by directly rescuing and stimulating tumor infiltrating CD8 T lymphocytes. So this is a very key component of the innate immunity that we need in the fight against cancer. Another repurposed medication, celecoxib. Celecoxib is a COX-2 inhibitor. It's a very specific anti-inflammatory, similar to ibuprofen, but whereas ibuprofen is broader anti-inflammatory, Celebrex or celecoxib is very specific because it's a COX-2 inhibitor, and that helps it to be very directive in its anti-inflammatory. And it just so happens that many cancer types will overexpress COX-2, and that helps it to invade, grow, and spread. Aspirin. That is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. And so though that's different than celecoxib or ibuprofen, here aspirin also has anti-inflammatory and anti-cancer properties. But just as Dr. Jason Williams and I discussed, there's actually an article out there published recently that showed how Tylenol can actually not only inhibit, but actually completely negate the impact of immunotherapy from a conventional standpoint in studies. Tylenol. So anybody receiving immunotherapeutics, and I would say whether that be conventional, natural, holistic, Tylenol should not be a part of your therapy strategy. It should be more the ibuprofen, the aspirins, 
or the celecoxib or the specific COX-2. But again, that needs to be also under the guidance of a physician. High dose vitamin C, another natural and holistic conventional, uh, it's going to be natural and holistic immunotherapy. Again, focusing on spontaneous tumor regression. Here, high dose vitamin C is shown to modulate the infiltration of the immune system within the tumor microenvironment, and that helps to further support the T lymphocytes, that is the innate immunity, in uh, more of an anti-cancer way and not an immunosuppressive way. Vitamin C not only helps to restore the immunogenicity, the immuno effects within the tumor microenvironment, but it actually enhances the anti-cancer activity, what's specifically called cytotoxicity of CD8 T cells. The combination of vitamin C with immune checkpoint inhibitors actually improves the effectiveness of the immune checkpoint inhibitors alone. So vitamin C alone is an immunotherapeutic, but vitamin C in conjunction with conventional immuno, immuno, immuno checkpoint therapies can also be augmentative, synergistic, and even better than each alone. The effects of vitamin C in the immune system and its potential role in empowering the immune system through its pro-oxidative potential is partly through its modification of genetic expression, that's epigenetics. See, what's great about vitamin C is not only can it affect the immune system immediately, not only can it work with other conventional therapies like the immune checkpoints, but it can actually change genetic expression, which provides a longer lasting impact, and this can be inherited transgenerational inheritance. Low-dose metronomic chemo with insulin potentiation. Don't want to really open that up here because I've, had, I've got other podcasts and webinars where I've discussed that. But here, when you use full-dose chemo, it's been shown, the evidence has been shown to suppress the immune system. You're not going to get any spontaneous tumor regression there. But if we lower the dose to 5 to 10%, give it more frequently, it actually becomes immunomodulatory. Increases dendritic cells, increases natural killer cells, increases cytotoxic T lymphocytes. Not just the what, but we know the specific how. The very targets at which it does it. Peptides. Peptides, whether off the shelf or whether it's precision peptides. These are used to, the precision peptides are used to really block specific receptors and ligands. So there may be broad immune checkpoints, but what's happening is there are small little aspects of that immune checkpoint that is an area to target, and peptides can be created to specifically do that. And we are a part of that in conjunction with the personalized, customized immunotherapy program through NEO7. So shout out to John Cottonsaro and the team there, because here we can be very pinpoint, very precise in the stacking of these peptides that are created to specifically match these particular points within the immune system uh, of these patients with cancer. Off-the-shelf peptides are basically just pre-made peptides. Thymosin alpha-1 is one that's very, very well known. It's great in stimulating the thymus gland right here in the, in the upper mid-chest to actually promote the um, maturation and activation of lymphocytes. More? I have them. Uh, curcumin, that's right, the spice from turmeric. It's immunomodulatory, meaning it modifies the immune system. It can stimulate specific aspects of the immune system. It can balance specific aspects of the immune system, and it can suppress other aspects of the immune system. One of the key steps here in the immunomodulatory effect of curcumin would be the uh, impact on the transcription of what's called nuclear factor kappa B. It's a major transcription factor in the promotion of inflammation. Also, through the inhibition of the JAK-STAT pathway and the mitogen-activated protein kinase pathway. So these three pathways are very critical in the production of inflammatory signaling that will lead to immunomodulation that favors the cancer. But at the same time, curcumin comes in here as a therapy and it could actually modify these and become an immunomodulatory therapy, and it could actually aid to spontaneous tumor regression as well. Of course, here when we're talking about curcumin, the dose really needs to be IV just exactly as it has to be vitamin, with vitamin C, which the only way to achieve an anti-cancer uh, therapy with vitamin C is via the pro-oxidative IV. Beyond the immunomodulatory effect of curcumin, it's anti-growth. It's anti-angiogenic or new blood vessel growth. It's anti-metastatic, and it triggers programmed cell death. 
Artosinate. See, the hits keep coming. The hits keep coming. Artosinate is actually from sweet wormwood. It's actually the gold standard treatment for malaria, but it has immunomodulatory effects. And this leads immune cells to have an anti-tumor type and activity. And so thus, it is an immunotherapy. That's why the combination of artosinate and vitamin C together in precision therapy stacking is critical in a approach, a targeted approach to cancer treatment when you're working within the immune system. And again, to have the potential to achieve full dose immunotherapeutic effects or ever achieve spontaneous tumor regression, we need a strong immune system. So whether it's standalone as natural holistic or whether it's in conjunction with conventional therapies, a strengthening immune system is critical to ultimate outcome and response. Supplements. Yes, simply supplements. Vitamin D, probably one of the most prominent and misunderstood out there, but vitamin D plays a critical role in the activation of the immune system, mainly the T cells. So we keep coming back to that T cell function and T cell activity. You cannot have an optimal T cell function and activity in the presence of cancer against cancer if your vitamin D is not optimal. And simply being at the normal reference range is not acceptable. Not only do you need to be in the normal reference range, you need to be optimal. And I would say in most cases, super optimal per the guidance because we are not dealing with a process in cancer that will only allow the minimal to get by. We need to be optimal and then some. All hands on deck. And then the last example here would be the body, mind, and the spirit. Now, a lot of people talk about that, but what they don't understand is that the evidence points towards impacts of stress, psychological, emotional stress, and its longevity impact on the immune system. So not only can it impact the immune system in cancer patients, but it can do so for generation. In fact, there was a study looking at Armenians uh, from uh, World War II that were in prison in the concentration camps. Their stress impacted them for future generations to this day. So stress I see clearly impacts our patients at Brio in a negative way. So one of the things we want to do is clearly work to heal the psychological, emotional, and yes, family stressors that can play a role there in cancer. And it's not just about the development of cancer. It's also about the treatment of cancer, but also keeping cancer in remission or no evidence of disease. So what you can see is natural holistic therapies that are immunotherapeutics, which are really you know, critical in what can be spontaneous tumor regressions, but our immunotherapeutics itself, there's many of them. And we could go on and on and on. But to be fair, conventionally, there are three broad classes, and I'll just leave it at that. Immune checkpoint blockade, adaptive cellular therapies, and then cancer vaccines. Over in the immunotherapy timeline pod, where I discussed that on the immunotherapy podcast, back in 1901 was when the first attempt for a cancer vaccine was, was made. So this is not something that's new. And then on the integrative immunotherapy front, Dr. Jason Williams and I talked about several examples of what an integrative immunotherapy approach looks like. And with Dr. Jason Williams and others, it's cryosurgery, pulse electric field therapies, intratumoral injections. But again, all of these therapies, whether natural, holistic, whether integrative, whether the, or conventional, they still must require precision therapy stacking. They must require targeting. They must require personalization. And it's only through this process, it's only can be achieved through that collective field of multiomics, genomics, epigenomics, transcriptomics, immunomodulomics, metabolomics, micro microbiomics, hormonomics. Yeah, I know that's a word, but I can't pronounce it. So that's hormonomics. But all of these bring forth the ability to develop targeting, precision therapy, and that then allows us to stack these therapies together because we understand the stacking of causation. We understand the stacking of the dysfunction, the stacking of mechanisms, and allows us to stack the therapies. So when we look at immunotherapy, when we look at spontaneous tumor regression, you know, one podcast I talked about a timeline of immunotherapy. Here I talked about spontaneous tumor regression. They're really intertwined. 
and what they require is immune system. Here we talked about a lot of natural, uh, holistic options, briefly touched on conventional and integrative, but what I want you to understand is what I feel that we're, the reason why we're not seeing a lot of spontaneous tumor regressions today is because we're not dealing with optimal immune system in the vast majority of people. Whether that be what we're inheriting from our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, what we're inheriting because of lifestyle choices, good and bad, these are being passed on from generation to generation. These are cumulative. These are adding up. And then I think the therapies that we're adding on top, that is the treatments for conventional cancer care, are only compounding this situation. It's the cherry on the top that we want no part of. Nobody wants any part of that dessert. So what we need to do is we need to refocus on that immune system, ways to optimize it to prevent cancer, ways to optimize it when we treat cancer, and ways to optimize it when we, when we seek to keep cancer in remission. So deep dives here on deep topics, even presenting new topics, that is a topic of spontaneous tumor regression. So I talked about immunotherapy. I talked with Dr. Jason Williams as it relates to many aspects of immunotherapy. And here we talked a lot about spontaneous tumor regression as well as very specific examples of immunotherapies and, and, and very specifically their connection to the immune system because I think that's where spontaneous tumor regressions come from. So we're, we're about to wrap up our stay here in Cabo. Uh, it's been an all day of recording, so I hope we've been able to provide you with some insight, some guidance, so that you can take your proverbial rabbit hole deep dives on this evidence. Because what we want for you is to be empowered. We don't want to just give you hope. We do. We don't want to just heal. We do. We want to teach. We want to serve you through knowledge and empowerment so that you can build a legacy, a legacy for yourself at the macro, the cellular level, but also a macro for your body and for generations to come, the power to heal through your immune system. So I'm gonna be signing off from here in Cabo San Lucas, Lucas, Mexico, where it's a little bit humid. And we're gonna be coming to you very soon as we touch in with some other worldwide experts and various topics as it relates to integrative medicine and integrative cancer. But if you like this podcast, which I know you do, I ask you to please subscribe and share this to everybody that can benefit from this information. Whether they have cancer, family or friends with cancer, I encourage you to subscribe and share this with them so that we can grow this movement to empower patients here through the immune system to prevent cancer, effectively treat cancer, that is heal cancer, and then keep cancer gone. Keep people healed for the remaining duration of their life. So Dr. Goodyear, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to talking to you soon. For more information, just like what we discussed today, I encourage you to follow us on YouTube as well as all of your favorite audio streaming platforms. And in there, we'll talk about all things related to healing, wellness, cancer, and much, much beyond because it doesn't just apply to cancer. Our goal here is to turn to healing, restore health, and promote your wellness whether that greatest obstacle to wellness being cancer or any other named disease. Our goal is your wellness. I'm Dr. Nathan Goodyear and enjoy our future podcast at Practicing with Dr. Goodyear.